Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Sunday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We have Michael Borky filling in the co-host chair for uh, Weldon Rodenberg, who is off uh, spending some time in Europe learning new languages and other such things you do over there, showering less. I don't know. Anyway, Weldon's gone for the next couple of weeks, so we've got Michael Borky filling in to react to what was a really entertaining week one in college football, but obviously specifically Ole Miss, their 28-10 to 10 win over the Troy Trojans. The quarterback play, some newcomers on defense. We really ran the gamut on uh, anything you could possibly take away from yesterday and uh, everything we saw, why we probably didn't learn a whole lot at the quarterback uh, position so far, the decision to start, start Luke Altmaier next week, that whole strategy, pretty much everything you could uh, possibly want in a podcast. So buckle up. It should be a great show. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by MIMS Insurance. Matt MIMS, independent insurance agent based in Oxford. Gas is expensive right now. Groceries are expensive. Everything's expensive. You don't want to be losing money sheerly because you don't necessarily know how to go about the uh, insurance process, whether it's a uh, boat, a house, congrats on the boat. That's pretty sick. If you have one car, life, whatever you need, Matt Mims is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. All you have to do is give him a call. He's going to shop your quote to 10 different agencies and his entire job is to find you the best possible rate. Insurance is confusing. That's why I do a podcast. I don't understand insurance. Matt Mims does and uh, he's going to do it a hell of a lot better than you. Help, Let him help you make insurance easy. Let him handle the work for you. Just give him a call at 218-7854. Tell him I sent you. He'll get you hooked up and get you the best possible insurance rate anywhere in the Magnolia State. He's based in Oxford. He's got a little help in Vicksburg now, but anywhere in the Magnolia State that uh, you need something insured, he's your guy. He can help you out. Good dude, longtime friend of mine, Ole Miss guy. Uh, do business with another rebel there if you are so inclined. But check him out, Matt Mims at Mims Insurance in Oxford. Again, that number is two one or 601-218-7854. Go check him out, Mims Insurance. The podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. I believe it was a four and three Saturday for Skybox yesterday. So uh, came out with a uh, winning record, no less. They added a couple, couple uh, classic bad beats, tough losses. Georgia State getting a couple punts blocked. Um, Georgia, that Georgia over under, I know, got a little bit weird, but uh, off to a uh, solid start. And the weekend is not over as this recording. So Skybox still got some of their plays out there with the two games remaining you need to check them out they're gonna have a picks package to fit your price range don't get down in the hole uh early in this college football season bet responsibly and really the only way to profit in the long run is to use someone like skybox sports picks they are the professionals they are the only way to guarantee you will profit in the long run turn this football season into uh, some supplementary income instead of trying to figure out how you're going to uh, meet the man on sunday nights and monday mornings they're gonna have a picks package that fits your price range whether it's month long season long Go try it for a week, two weeks, a day. You can go all sports, sports-centric, NFL package, college football package, whatever you may need. They're going to have something that fits into your wheelhouse. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, to get 20% off any purchase. Skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, here is Michael Borky filling in in the co-host chair for Weldon Rodenberg on Ole Miss's game with Troy and a terrific week one of college football. 
All right, we now welcome on Super Talk Do It All, man, Michael Borky, Sports Talk Mississippi, 3 to 6 every Monday through Friday. He is filling in in the Sunday co-host chair for Weldon Rodenberg. Weldon is uh, off in Europe. The uh, higher-ups at Rivals saw, I think they were basically like, look, this soccer corner stuff, that's doing numbers. we got to get this kid pitch side to a couple matches. So he's over there scouting. Um He'll be back in a couple of weeks, probably providing some reports on whatever European soccer is over there. No, not really. He's vacationing with his fiance, but Borky's filling in nonetheless. Um, a lot on the line for you today. Really has nothing to do with this American football stuff. Can you talk the beautiful game? We shall see at the end. Maybe we get some U.S. national team. What's happening, my man? Oh, not a whole lot. Just uh, I, I did not expect to be the voice of reason. And and apparently I am. I I don't uh, I don't know what people were expecting yesterday. But real quick before we get into Ole Miss, I've said this on Twitter. I've said this on my own show, and I'm going to say it here: the people that spent all off season. And I'm not talking about just fans. Like there were people in our business that were like, "Oh, college football's ruined. It's over. I can't watch it anymore. It's not the same." They, it's lost everything we love about it. I hope they found something else to do yesterday because that was a pretty kick-ass day of football. I mean, North Carolina, Appalachian State was unbelievable. It, ECU missed an extra point in a field goal at the last second to lose at home to NC State. Then you got Arkansas-Cincinnati. Great atmosphere, great football game. You had to suffer through the second half of Ole Miss. God bless you if you did that. And then you had Ohio State, Notre Dame, big brands, close game, Florida, Utah, just outstanding. The, game yesterday, of the weekend probably there. Yes. The, yesterday was awesome. And I kept trying to tell people this summer, look, nothing is going to feel or look any different when the ball gets kicked off. Relax. Yes, now you know that kids on the field are getting some money. And in some cases, a lot but it's going to look and feel the same. And sure enough, it did. So anyway, voice of reason here and a pretty pumped up one because I thought yesterday was awesome. I could not, I was about to go there myself. I could not echo, echo that sentiment anymore. I believe one of the preseason podcasts we did where we were just talking about being more positive about college football in general. I, I tried to go into the season with that kind of mindset and week one made it easy. It was really an incredible weekend that's still not over. Hopefully we get another good one tonight between LSU and Florida, or excuse me, LSU and Florida State. That could get weird. I don't have much expectation for Georgia Tech Clemson, but hey, you never know. But it was really just a good weekend from the backyard brawl on. Um, you know, Purdue Penn State was awesome as well. And I, I was I was looking at it yesterday, like it was I'm in Dallas. And so we went to some friends' house and I MC's in Fort Worth. We drove over to Dallas to watch the old Miss game. But by the time we got back for the night games, I finally had the classic you know, two, three TV setup, uh, the state game, the other two big games, Utah and Florida, and then Ohio State, Notre Dame, all up at once. And I was just like, this is great entertainment. I don't know if the playoffs going to be entertaining. I don't know if anything is going to be surprising in terms of the end result of this season, but this is great entertainment. And you're right, like, you know, the the vibe of a lot of people in both the industry and uh, media industry and fans were seemingly somewhat apathetic with the transfer and the new rules and all that and the lack of parity. And I get all that. It, it, there is flaws to this sport, but it was super entertaining. And I, I don't know if there was anything more evident than that Utah Florida game. I, I don't know if this is a segment. I don't know if this is just me doing this three or four times a year, but I'm going to try to be more um, 
open and appreciative of about just like the effort given in an awesome game. I don't know if we call that a millennial clap because of participation trophies and whatnot, but the end of that Florida Utah game where Cam, uh, Cam rising Utah's quarterback just threw a pick where his receiver slipped. The Florida linebacker made an absolutely unreal play on that interception, literally just like, like levitating sideways with one arm to pick it off. He looks shocked and just made the places going nuts, but then like spends the next 10 minutes, uh, kind of going through Florida players because I think all those Florida, I imagine they were mostly defensive guys were like, holy shit, this kid. Like, I, you know, I hate using the word earn my respect, but you could yeah. tell after the game, they're like, that guy can play. Just appreciating the, I don't know, 50 some odd people that put it on the line for three hours to develop what it was an incredibly entertaining product. That was amazing. You could do it down the line for four more games, but I just thoroughly enjoyed everything about yesterday. Yeah, and the uh, Anthony Richardson, the pump fake spin Unreal. move. Oh, oh, my gosh. And to think that Dan – I mean, every a lot of people have said this. This isn't unique to me. But the fact that Dan Mullen decided not to play him is mind-blowing. And I think Anthony Richardson is a good example for – why old Miss fans need to chill. Now, I'm not saying that Jackson Dart or Luke Altmeyer will be Anthony Richardson, but the kid wasn't good last year. But he showed you he's got a lot of potential, but he wasn't anywhere close to polished and he was in a different system. And last night, it's not like he was perfect either, but it's almost like young quarterbacks early in their career aren't finished products, and if you stick with them and let them learn and grow, they can beat a top-10 team making unbelievable plays at home in their second season. I, I don't – I mean, maybe a little bit of patience is required. I cannot believe that Dan Mullen thought that he was not their best option last year. It ultimately got him fired, and the other guys at Arizona State, but Wow. You're, you're right. And I mean, look, there's no, there's almost no time for patience in a lot of ways in this sport. And that's why you're seeing guys get fired after one and two years now as head coaches. But I owe Anthony Richardson an apology. Not really because he doesn't know who the hell I am or anything I've said in the last couple of months, but I was just kind of underwhelmed by the guy. You know, I was like, oh, he's 21 years old. He's been on campus at least three years. Like, you know, I keep hearing about like, man, this kid's dynamic. But it's like, when are we actually going to see that? And it turns out there was a uh, Dan Mullen handicap. Um, and he uh, he put it on display last night. That was awesome stuff. Let's uh, let's get in, let, we'll get some more of these other games toward the end. Let's get into the Ole Miss piece of it. Ole Miss beats Troy twenty eight to ten in a game that uh, not to sound like a spin zone off the bat. A game did not feel as close as twenty eight to ten, but also felt like a team with a lot of newness, a lot of moving parts, trying to figure some stuff out. I, I really don't. I don't think it's wise to pay attention to the final score and just the lethargic nature of the second half, because if you listen to Kiffin's press conference yesterday, you know, he talked about a lot of different things about one being pretty vanilla defensively. They didn't really blitz. They didn't do a whole lot of things offensively. They got up 28 to three and just started trying stuff in the passing game. I thought the greatest example of what I'm talking about is dart throws the interception um, down there in the red zone and Kiffin said look they couldn't stop us running the ball like we could have run the ball and probably scored the touchdown there but we wanted to you know try to you know, build some chemistry build some cohesion in the passing game and Dart you know does what it sounds like he's done for a lot of camp he's done some good things but then made a really really terrible decision that resulted in a pick I mean Kiffin made no bones about it he said that's what we've tried to get him to stop those throws don't work and they certainly don't work in this league and it was one of those things as soon as he threw it you could tell he was like Damn, he started, he did the whole helmet slap. Like he knew it, but that doesn't change the fact that it happened. And so yeah. 
not to start there per se, but just it looked like a team with a bunch of moving parts with some really good talent on defense and just a lack of chemistry, particularly on offense. I'm not necessarily excusing it, but I don't know what else one could have expected. They could have played better, but they should also could have played worse. Yeah, the, the truth doesn't it always lie somewhere in the middle. Now, I could sit here with you and do the uh, the hot take sports radio guy thing and say that Ole Miss is in big, big trouble and Jackson Dart's terrible and some fans were doing that yesterday. My gosh, some of the adjectives that fans were using for Jackson Dart kind of blew my mind. But I could sit here and do that with you or also tell you there's no reason to be concerned. You guys are crazy. This team's going to be fine. They're going to go win 10 games and the truth – as always, lies somewhere in the middle. I don't think Jackson Dart was near as bad as a lot of the fan reaction says, and I rewatched a good bit of it this morning, and he definitely wasn't as bad on rewatch. He missed a couple of deep balls early. But I'm going to ask you a question, then I'm going to keep talking. If J.J. Henry catches that deep ball that would have been a touchdown, is anybody even talking about the bad day today? If instead of 67% completions, it go it's it's 69 or whatever it moves up because of the catch. And instead of 156 yards or whatever, it's 200 yards. And instead of one touchdown and a pick, it's two touchdowns and a pick. Is the meltdown anywhere close to what it is today? If that one catch is made that should have been made, it, is everybody freaking out today? No, and you're right. And to even add on to that further, it probably, you know, you could technically go the whole, you know, three touchdowns and a pick because that pass he threw to, I guess it was Mingo that he ran it in on the yeah. right side by the second touchdown, technically a backwards lateral. I'm not saying he had great form on that seven yard pass in the flat, but you get my point. Like the state, that's, you know, an inch forward and it's ruled a forward pass. Congrats. He's now got three touchdowns. It's just, this is the same thing in the NFL these days, trying to judge people off of just the raw numbers that we spent about two decades used to you know, fantasy and all that judging people off of is just kind of a foolish proposition because if you do that, Kirk Cousins is a top five quarterback in the NFL without any sort of like it's it's undisputed. Yes. <laughs> so I you're right. I mean it, no, to answer your question, I do think it would if he catches that deep ball, this entire day is viewed and judged differently. And I think it's being a little bit skewed by how it ended. And that's part of what you're talking about. You know, he has they had three turnovers in the second half. You had two fumbles. One of them looked like kind of a little bit of a a chemistry issue. One of them looked like I don't know what the deal with the Caleb Warren snap was. Um, even if it had been a good snap, it didn't look like Altmaier was ready for it. And then, of course, the bad decision by Dart there that didn't end his day because they brought him back out for one more drive. But for all intents and purposes, that was kind of the lasting image of Jackson Dart for the day for most of the people watching. And I don't really know how to go about saying this, and I'm trying to be careful to not be overly pro-Dart just because I did get a little bit of that on the uh, from writing that story this week. It's like, oh, you want Dart to be the quarterback? I don't give a shit. I just thought he was an interesting story. And so I, I, I this is not necessarily pro-Dart, but I didn't think he was that bad either. You said you rewatched most of the game this morning. I did the exact same exercise and came away with the exact same thought. I was like, he actually did some nice things. The third quarter throw to the corner – um, or to the side of the field uh, to hit Trigg was really good. He had one earlier on a third down, I think to Mingo, that was really awesome as well, that converted a third and long. He did some good things with his feet. He also missed some reads. It wasn't just the touchdown. He missed the read um, on the throw before on the RPO, before he hit Heath. They literally ran the same play again, and he hit him for the, uh, the second time when he made the correct read. And so there was a lot of good and a lot of bad, the numbers don't help him out. And I guess to close out kind of this rambling thought, they ran the ball so like effortlessly on Troy 
that the sample size, like the opportunity to give him something to do was limited as well. Before all the bogged down stuff in the second half, I didn't know how to evaluate him in the first half because they ran all over him. Yeah, it's so hard. And people were asking me, why aren't they throwing it more? And I was like, well, because, I mean, they they hand the ball off and it goes for 25. What what, What do you want Charlie Weiss Jr. to do at that point? Um, no, he, the thing that I I keep going back to with this is he is a, a 19 year old quarterback. He's a young quarterback in a, on a new team that he joined in February, uh, in a system, all new everything. And not only that, he has been splitting first team reps in camp. So he didn't even get a full training camp to get ready for, for this game and this moment. People need to have some perspective. Now, do I understand where some concern is? Yes, because if he ends up being the guy and he doesn't play any better than this, then Ole Miss is going to – they're going to be in trouble. They play in the SEC West. It's going to be really hard to win games if it doesn't get better than this at the quarterback position. But he has played three and a half quarters on a new team and a new system at his age and experience level on a team that he joined – what was it? January 31st. So – He's not going to be a finished product right now. This is not or should not be Jackson Dart complete. And and I don't know why that that perspective was lost on people. Well, actually, no, I'll tell you what. If if he was born and raised in Mississippi, he would have thrown five touchdowns yesterday. We know that for sure. But that was some wow content towards the end. Oh, yeah. That's all I'll say about it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have even said that. But um, he, he is not a finished product. He's not. And if Lane Kiffin has has showed you anything, it's that he can get the most out of his quarterbacks. What in his career has told you that he's not going to develop quarterbacks and do it right? So you saw some good things. That long run especially, but at, at times he was under pressure, and that's a little bit concerning. But at times he was under pressure and escaped well and kept his eyes downfield. Uh, did a couple of checkdowns instead of taking risks downfield that I'm sure Kiffin liked. I mean, you mentioned it. He said after the game, up until the last two series, he was pleased with what he saw. And he should have been. When you're running the ball that well, just don't screw up. And he didn't up until the time when he did. So there were good things. There were bad things. He is not Matt Corral. He may never be Matt Corral, but expecting him to be Matt Corral today is a foolish thing he showed you his talent ceiling but he also showed you that he's not anywhere close to it I'm surprised that people are surprised that it wasn't perfect yesterday regardless of who the opponent is and next week with Altmire, if roles were reversed and Altmeyer started yesterday and put up the same numbers I would say the same thing why are you surprised that this young quarterback in a somewhat new system for him anyway new OC with all new pieces is not perfect today and even next week, with a much worse opponent, if Luke Altmaier's not perfect, you should expect that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. And like on top of that, too, the idea that he's somewhat more experienced because his time at USC, I think, is a little bit um, misleading on the surface level. Jackson Dart's first start at the University of Southern California came on November 20th in the third to last game against UCLA. This idea that, that he was after his coach got fired too. Yeah, that, this, that was with a lame duck coach and staff. Yeah, exactly. And this idea that he got all this experience there is just not true. He comes in off the bench in the third game of the season, four days after Slovis, excuse me, four days after Helton gets fired against Washington State and leads them to a win off the bench. 
but then tears his meniscus, misses four or five games, comes back, and he splits time with Slovis against Arizona and Arizona State against the lame duck coaching staff. And I'll just leave it at this. There's a lot of stuff I didn't put in that story because it wasn't necessary, but the inner workings of how that interim staff was operating and really just the USC athletic department as a whole was really carnival circus level type stuff. I mean, it was the, the level of dysfunction there. I, I think would be hard to uh, hard to believe on some levels. If some people kind of knew everything that, that was going on there, that's not necessarily to excuse anything or, or I'm just kind of adding context to it, but he didn't, he didn't start a game until UCLA, which, by the way, they're missing two offensive linemen. They lost Drake London. They were down another receiver. And if you watch that UCLA-USC game, Dart got the absolute living shit kicked out of him for three and a half hours and just kept getting back up and kept getting back up and doing it and trying to make things happen as best he could. Now, is the decision was the decision-making bad yesterday? Was it bad at times at USC? Of course, that's something he has to fix, but I'm just – the idea that he was, you know, infinitely more experienced because of, you know, getting to play some at USC last year is uh, I just don't think is, is necessarily true. And I'm not sure if it was good experience because this is I'll go ahead and go straight to this. I'll, I have this theory, the Jackson Dart gunslinger thing where he's taking chances and he's making bad decisions and it looks awesome sometimes because he fits it in tight windows, but really bad in others. I, I wonder if there's anything to the fact that his entire college experience to that point had been with, like we mentioned, a lamed up coaching staff, dwindling assets all over the field between opt-outs, injuries, whatever you want to call it at USC last year. I, I remember talking to his dad and he, um, he, I was asking him how the hell he came back from a torn meniscus five games later or four games later or whatever. And he said, honestly, Jackson rushed his rehab. He wanted to make the most of an opportunity to play. He said, you know, once we found out it was uh, – or once he felt it buckle against Washington State, he for the next three quarters he was like, you know what, we'll figure the knee thing out later, but I'm just going to limp around and, quote, make stuff happen um, until I can't anymore. And I just wonder if that being his mindset the entire time, trying to win the QB2 job. Then he gets in and he gets playing time. Now he's trying to win another quarterback job. Not only on top of that, being a late-arriving prospect on the scene in terms of a high school recruit, I wonder if he's just been in – effort mode the entire time let's make something happen I wonder if that's been hard to dial it back because of the way he's been wired at every situation he's been to along the way if that makes any sense at all yeah and I don't think his interception was like some egregious like oh my it's like a stupid decision it looked more like he telegraphed where he was going with the football and, and uh, obviously a good safety a well-coached safety read his eyes and, and made a break on the football that's more to me young quarterback doing something that you can't do at, at, in any level of college football and Troy defensively is not anywhere close to what they're going to see in the SEC this year but that was a decent first test relatively speaking there there are worse a good coach yeah there there are worse g5 teams out there and and a, a well-coached safety read his eyes and, and that's the kind of stuff that you can coach out of him i don't think like that was some egregious irresponsible just the dumbest decision on earth it's more of like he's got to learn not to do that that maybe i'm splitting hairs maybe that's the same thing but that didn't strike me as just a terrible, egregious, how dare you throw that football. It was more like telegraphed it where he was going. Safety came over the top and, and just and made an easy play. And you can coach that out of the guy. You can teach him not to do that. Matt Corral did that early in his career, often telegraphed passes. And by the time he was 
by the time he hit last year, he never did that. He was looking off guys left and right. That's something that you can teach a guy. Um, he's he's been dealt a, a weird hand, and and it's still kind of weird for him. This starting one week, not starting the next thing is is weird. I understand. I understand why it's happening, and I don't. I was wrong. I, I thought that they had made a decision and they were just going to push forward with it, even though it was really close. I didn't expect them to do this alternating thing, but. I think people, some people are being really, really hard on the guy today and expecting him to be perfect is, is foolish and expecting Luke Altmaier to be perfect is also foolish. There there were things that you can build on. There's room to grow. I, I don't know. I get, I almost sound like a homer, but it's, it's like, what did you expect? Because if you were expecting him to be like your four-year one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play in the history of your school. If you expected him to be that, that's a you problem, not a Jackson Dart problem. Yeah, and it's another piece of it too. And I think some of the disappointment comes from really any sort of consistent success in the downfield passing game, despite him doing some good things. I mean, I just outlined there were a couple of throws I thought were pretty impressive, two of them to trig, one of them to uh, Mingo. But they just didn't have any sort of consistent success pushing the ball down the field with an all-new receiving core. But you hit on it a second ago. If you go back, and I noticed this particularly watching the game this morning, if you go back on a lot of the drop-back passing stuff where they looked like they were trying to push the ball down the field, he didn't have a clean pocket a lot of the time, which I think is a little bit concerning, particularly with kind of the, the rotation, whatever you want to call it, they have going on at the tackle spots. Like, that didn't seem great. He got flushed out a couple of times. There was another time where immediately after he took the snap, he basically had to take off running. I think he ended up dumping the ball to Evans or someone. I can't remember the exact play, but there wasn't a whole lot of, hey, stand in there, kind of evaluate a couple reads and then make a decision. They uh, He didn't have a lot of clean pockets to throw when they did the typical drop back stuff. I don't know what to make of that. I don't, I, I don't know if it's a cause for concern. It was just something I noticed. Um, amid the tiny sample size that we got of this team yesterday. Enough on the, uh, as we kind of transition away from like the actual particular dart side of it, because I think we covered that portion of it. The way this is being handled, the Jim Harbaugh, one guy starts one game, one guy starts the next. It's easy to criticize something new as dumb or nonsensical. I probably fell victim to that immediately upon kind of hearing about this on Thursday, Friday. It was like, are they really going to try to do this? And then Neil puts it out and it's it obviously Neil reported. It. And so then it, they get set on the broadcast and it ends up being true. Kiffin um, confirms it after the game. I, I don't know what to think of it. It's, it's one of those things like what nine months ago when they were going through spring, I think the general thought was, eh, this probably goes into the season a little bit with the way the schedule sets up. But Kiffin was so, I don't say anti the idea of it, but made it very clear that we, that quote, we, the coaching staff, speaking from Kiffin's standpoint, did not want to do that if at all possible. They would rather decide on a guy and have that be the guy for 12 games if all things go well. Well, I guess in, in you know, I, I would also like to be a millionaire type of thing, but that doesn't mean that my bank account is going to reflect that in the morning, right? What you want to happen and what was more realistically like to happen is not always the same thing. And I think that's probably the situation we've arrived at now, what do you think of it? I don't necessarily hate it. I don't know exactly how you judge Luke Altmaier versus Central Arkansas and Jackson Dart versus Troy and the how you handicap the two, what you look for evaluation-wise. 
I don't know how you do that, but the sheer idea of giving each one of them a start before with respect to these two teams that are playing this past week and next week before a real-ish opponent in Georgia Tech, I don't necessarily hate that idea on the surface. Yeah, that that's my one question is how you're going to look at this game because it's not that Central Arkansas is an FCS team. They're a bad FCS team. They're bad for the level in which they play. And so how could you how could you possibly draw a fair evaluation of the two when there is a dramatic, I mean a dramatic drop off in competition from Troy to Central Arkansas, a, I mean, a, a dramatic one. So how do you look at this and determine one guy is more equipped to go to Atlanta next weekend or like two weeks, whatever, and go beat an ACC team when the only time you've seen him play is against Troy or a significantly worse Central Arkansas? Uh, I, I understand the thinking behind it, but I, I do wish uh, for their sake that it was Tulsa this week instead of Central Arkansas so you can have a relatively similar, comparable sample size between the two. Because if Luke goes out there and, and is good, that's good. But also, how much of that has to do with the fact that there's not a single player on Central Arkansas's team that could play for Ole Miss? There's barely any, if any at all, that could play for Troy. So that that's the only thing I, I wonder in this. And the, the thing I was thinking this morning is, I wonder if, Luke can't necessarily win the job this Saturday, but he could lose it. Like if he goes out there and, and he makes mistakes and doesn't play well, then then now you have your answer. But if he plays well in, in the evaluation similar, then I guess you keep going until you you know. Yeah, that's the other piece of it. What what do you you're exact that's a great way to describe it because Look, and to be completely fair, I feel like I spent the first what thirty minutes we were talking here. You know, I guess if you're a if you're a big Altmaier guy, like sounding like I'm making excuses for Darden, I don't really mean to do that. I just kind of it was more of a pump. Dude, we would make the same ones for Altmaier, exactly. relatively speaking, anyway. I mean, some of it, the Dart things don't apply to Altmaier because he's been with the program for a full year before this one and stuff. But if he wasn't perfect yesterday, we would have said the same thing. He's a young quarterback. It's all new. He's going to have growing pains. We would have had the same take. And with the running, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. There is an absolutely a realistic world with the way that this team we think is going to be able to run the football. We'll get to the running backs part of it in a second, but holy wow, they've got three really good ones. Um, but with the way this team, you think they'll be able to run the ball and they can forge an identity around that. There is absolutely a world where Luke Altmaier is the starting quarterback because he consistently makes better decisions. He, they find a way to get him to, quote, push the ball down the field enough, whatever that means, just because us, the you know media, fans, whatever, have not been able to see most of the scrimmages. But that seems to be the general consensus that, you know, he's kind of checked down Charlie in a lot of ways. They can't get him to push the ball down the field. But there is absolutely a world with the way this team's designed and where how good they could be defensively that Altmaier is the guy because, you know, he – manages the game to use a cliche better than Jackson Dart. He doesn't make poor decisions. He's accurate. He's decisive in where he wants to go and they run the ball really well. I, there's absolutely a world where he ends up being the starting quarterback because of that. But to get yeah. back to, to your point and what you were talking about, I don't know how you make that determination 
off of what he does against Central Arkansas. The only way I think you could make a determination is if, like you said, what he doesn't do. If he really struggles and they really aren't moving it against the worst opponent at all, and I don't know, maybe you mix in a bad decision and a turnover or two, it feels like you're confirming you know, what you saw in week one is probably the best option to go. I just – Man, unless he really, really tears it up and throws for, I don't know, five, sixty, and four touchdowns and is hitting guys in stride 25 and 30 yards down the field, I don't know what he can do to decisively say, I am the guy. But with that being said, we only see the surface level of all of this, right? They, they know a hell of a lot more about what's a good decision, what's a bad decision, you know, what guys are thinking and all of that. So they could make the decision. I'm just curious as to how you do that because, as you pointed out, and the only confirmation I feel like you're going to get next week is if he's not very good. Right. And they're going to have to call plays to in a way that gives you good looks, right? They they did it in a drive. Uh, was it the first or the second drive of the second half where, where Dart led them down to an easy touchdown uh, through seven passes, completed six of them. He looked really comfortable. It was a really good drive. Uh, that was intentional. Like the, you could tell they were calling plays in that drive to make – or, or give themselves dart throwing, going to progressions, running the offense on film. Because they could have just handed it off again and gone and scored a touchdown again. And you said that earlier. Same thing's going to have to happen this Saturday. They're going to have to intentionally go away from what will easily win them the game, because they're going to win it regardless, to get Altmeyer on film and get him doing stuff on film because they could give it to Evans, Judkins, and Bentley, and nobody else, and win by seven touchdowns if they wanted to, because... Central Arkansas will not be able to line up and stop Ole Miss running the football. So they're going to have to be intentional with, with how they call plays and stuff. I, I, it's going to kind of make me laugh because you know, in their minds, this isn't the best way to win the game. But we've got to see this because there are games that down the road. What's, what's curious to me, or interesting to me anyway, is how they handle Georgia Tech. Let's pretend that, that Luke Altmaier's good, but it's Central Arkansas and they just don't know yet. How do you handle Georgia Tech? Because it's not a good ACC team, but you can't go there screwing around. You've got to go there and you've got to to play to win the game or else you won't. Ole Miss is not in a position to go to Georgia Tech and screw around and experiment with things and still win. I don't think they're there yet. So that's this weekend, of course, you watch, you see what Altmaier can do, all that. I am more interested to see how they handle Georgia Tech because you're not screwing around and winning that game. Not with the way you looked yesterday, you're not. No, and it's just wait till tomorrow night when you get a weird week one result when Clemson somehow scrapes out like a 20 to 17 victory and everyone on yeah. the board is like, oh my God, like this is this is a loss now. And it's it, I don't know what I think Georgia Tech's gonna suck. I've heard some very I'll put it to you mildly weird stuff about the locker room and the culture and everything going on there with uh, Jeff Collins. I'm not necessarily sure he is long for this world in Atlanta, but again, it, to your point, it is a real opponent and it's going to be interesting. You know, the, even if they make quote unquote, a decision that doesn't turn out to be the right one, are you going to know until Kentucky or maybe even Auburn? Like when like you may not find that out for another couple weeks anyway, like if you go with a guy, whoever it is, if that ends up not being the correct one, hell, you may not know that and you may continue to win games all the way up through Auburn. I think they could beat Kentucky with either one of these two quarterbacks. I think they can beat Auburn at home 
with either one of these two quarterbacks. Now, my opinion on that may change in three or four weeks when we see more of when we see Kentucky go to the swamp or we see Auburn play a real opponent. It's week one. I don't know what to make of it. Kentucky didn't look necessarily great against Miami of Ohio yesterday. I caught all of like seven plays of that game, but still score was kind of indicative of that. But I guess my point being is like they could get to that back half stretch of the season and whoever it is and realize, man, we're really being hamstrung here and end up having to go back to the other guy. I don't think it's going to be as fluid as they alternate three times throughout the season because of this. But I'm just I guess what I'm getting at is there's so much indecision you figure they have to make one before Georgia Tech. The fact that the idea that that's just the final one and that's the guy who's going to start the final, what that would be eight games from that point on, and that's just that or nine games, I don't think is necessarily a wise way to look at it either. I mean, these are both 19-year-olds that are unfinished, both have some talent. Like, it, it, it could get flip-flop again. And so I really don't know what to think, and I don't feel like I learned a whole hell of a lot yesterday either because then Altmaier gets to come in for, what was that, two series? But it get immediately gets screwed up because the first snap is a fumble, which was yeah. no fault of his own. Like, uh, I don't know if there's such thing as fatting a snap like a golf shot, but it looks like the fellow, like, clanked it off one of his butt cheeks or, like, thighs or whatever, and it just, like, squirted off to the ground two feet behind him. Like, that kind of threw a wrench in things either because Troy then took some time off the clock with another drive, and now it's like, okay, this, you know, whatever portion of Altmaier's snaps he was going to get yesterday, he didn't learn anything. He made a couple of nice throws on the one normal drive he got, but – even that kind of got screwed up too. The second half was just kind of a disaster in many ways. It was very weird. It was also a snooze fest. It was. It was a sloppy game too. And it, it, I agree with you in that we didn't get the best look. And I don't think we're going to get the best look next weekend either. But uh, there were a lot of other things that that were working against the team itself. And it's something that that you've talked about that I know we've talked about that that everything's new. It, it was new for Charlie Weiss. It, it's they they made some shuffling on the offensive line. It was new running backs. It was new wide receivers. Flash Robinson, my gosh, caught a punt on his own <laughs> half yard line. I mean, it's but and then and then uh, what was it then? Was it the next punt or the punt after that where he's looking at the sidelines as the ball's getting punted, saying, "What what the hell? What what am I? What is the call? I have no idea." There was a couple of times where they were trying to do. Uh, bringing a guy in motion and they snapped the ball to do a mesh with the receiver in motion and the ball wasn't snapped in time. Snapping in general wasn't particularly good. There were a lot of bad snaps. That part's got to get cleaned up. You can't be having fast. bad snaps five, six games in on the road at, you know, whoever. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's got to get better and that's got to get better fast. They, they were shuffling some things on, on the offensive line, a lot of things on the offensive line. There was a new defensive coordinator calling plays for the first time. It seemed like they were really intentional in playing almost as many guys as possible on defense. Now, I know there were some disgruntled players, but, I mean, you know, this is big boy football now. If you didn't play, maybe that's something that you should look in the mirror and figure out why instead of look at the coaches. Anyway, point being, that was new for that, that was new for all the running backs. That was new for the offensive line. That was new for the wide receivers. That was new for both coaches in the booth. That was new for most players on defense. I mean, that was all new, and you could tell. You could feel that it, there was a little discombobulation. And I've, I can't help but wonder if they approached training camp differently than they would have had it been a more high-profile season opener. Because it was Troy, and it wasn't even Georgia Tech, where they didn't have to go out and kill these guys. They didn't have to really... 
like hammer down things in camp that, that they got to kind of relax a little bit. And I don't know, that looked like a team that wasn't exactly prepared in part because it was all new pieces. I'm not questioning their ability to coach or anything, but I can't help but wonder if they would have looked a little more sharp had it been somebody not named Troy. Uh, yeah, I think there's definitely credence to that too. And that lends me, I got one more point and then so a couple of quarterback stats throughout you, then we'll kind of move on to the other piece of the games. How much of the frustration, we're all humans here. Some of us might even be consider ourselves degenerates here. How much of the frustration is the fact that it was a line that was slightly over 21, they were up 25, it looked like the game was about to get rolling away and become a snoozer, and then all of a sudden you can rip up your ticket because the final score was 28 to 10. How much of that do you think is built in to the frustration to the many people that attended and the many people on the message board that uh, might have had a little invested interest? Because I say that halfway jokingly, but they don't cover. People lose their hard-earned cash, and the offense looked really, really bad in the second half. I just wonder if a little bit of that is adding fuel to the fire at all because um, I got a few text messages that would suggest that if I'll put it to you that way. Yeah, and and they should have easily covered. I mean, after they easily. scored that touchdown in the second half, you thought, all right, well, this game's over. They're going to win 45-3 to three or whatever, and, and it's just going to be an easy day. <laughs> they just I – mean, just brutal. It's like you look up and you're like, that was an 18-point game. How, how is that the case? And then the, the last thing I have, and I, I shared with one of these with you yesterday, was quarterback debuts. Good, bad quarterbacks, however they turned out at Ole Miss, are kind of deceiving. Matt Corral, debut at Memphis uh, 2019. Nine for 19 with 93 yards and a pick. That's not great. Um I think I went to Jeremiah Masoli, who he didn't start the opener, but his second game, I forget the opponent, 10 of 28, I think, for something, for like 187, a touchdown and a pick. Jevin Sneed was 10 of 22 against Memphis for like 180-something, two touchdowns and a pick. Bo Wallace, 20 of 24 for 285, two touchdowns, one pick, but they trailed Central Arkansas 20 to 14 at halftime in Bo Wallace's debut. They come out and lit him up in the second half. I didn't do Chad Kelly because he came out in that offense immediately lit UT Martin or whoever that was on fire for 70 some odd points. Credit to Chad Kelly, I guess, but that team was loaded all around. There was not a whole lot of new there. It was a lot of returner on the offensive line. I tried to go back and find like Brent Schaefer and a couple of the other guys that didn't work out, not just to point and say, hey, these three guys worked out and they had bad debuts. That wasn't really the point of the exercise. I just went and looked that up, one, because I was interested, but two, I just don't think you can tell a whole hell of a lot about a quarterback in his debut regardless, good, bad, or indifferent. It doesn't yeah. necessarily jive with what they actually become. No, you shouldn't. There were a lot of people speaking in definitives yesterday, and, and I, I didn't think about the gambling side. I, yeah, that's that's probably part of it is that they should have covered and they didn't. But if you are speaking in definitives about Jackson Dart or Luke Altmyer, if roles are reversed, after three and a half quarters of sleepy football against Troy, you're either being intentionally obtuse or I don't need to have conversations with you you know it's it, if he is a finished product today that is a problem so i like concern is valid oh kentucky, sure. kentucky comes to town in, in less than a month now so what is it like 26 days something like that i don't kentucky's coming to town soon that is a solid kentucky team but beatable but you've got to get better quarterback play than what you got on saturday so the, the concern is valid. The he sucks, 
he's a bum or, well, if you he should play the guy from Mississippi because he's tough and gritty, even though we have no reason to think that he is either one of those adjectives, um, it's a little foolish. So it feels kind of stupid in my position to say this, but I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt. I think you should trust Lane Kiffin with this. Uh, and, and whoever he goes with uh, will be for good reason and expect that player to get better throughout his career because that's what Lane Kiffin does with quarterbacks. I, I said this on Twitter yesterday. Matt Corral was not a finished product as a college quarterback until year three. Yeah, He didn't learn how to be consistent until year three. And yes, year one was bad system, Rich Rod, whatever. But he lost on his own two games in 2020. By himself, lost two football games in 2020 because he made egregious mistakes and lost those two games. It took year three for him to really be consistent on a weekly basis. Why are you not giving the same patience to these guys? I don't understand that. I think part of it is where the program is. Is Ole Miss was competitive against Florida in that weird COVID year, and so they were – I think as bad as the program and as stale as it had gotten under the Luke years and the end of kind of the freeze wreckage and the fallout from that, it's just like, hey, you finally have a guy with some talent. You know, he throws six picks. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to put the plum lead thing in? We saw that with Rich Rod last year. Like, you know, there was no other option to whereas this one, you know, there's two guys fighting for the job. So, you know, if you don't like what you're seeing, naturally the other thing that you don't know about has to be better because it's just you're tired of watching what you're seeing type of thing. I think there's probably um, – a little bit of that. So we'll we'll see. I, I'm curious to see what next week looks like. I'm curious to see how they go about game planning it in terms of how they call plays and who they use and how they use, you know, each uh, – I'd say who they use, how they call plays offensively, really, and what they – how they kind of set this whole thing up to uh, to kind of try to learn more about Luke Altmaier, I guess. And then, you know, this game got so weird in the second half. I think the idea was for Altmaier to play a little bit more. Dart will probably get snaps next week too. What does that look like? I don't know, but I'll be glad when we get to the Georgia Tech game, and at least for a short period of time, we will probably be able to stop talking about you know everything we don't know and at least a decision to be made for better or for worse. We'll get back to Michael Borky in a second, but first wanted to take a quick break to remind you this podcast is brought to you by our friends at BetterHelp is an online therapy service that will match you with a licensed therapist in under 48 hours you can go online face to face you can just do audio you don't really have to see someone in person if you don't want to uh therapy is just like anything else you put uh we put gas in our cars we get the tires rotated we do oil change we do routine maintenance or uh why wouldn't we treat our brain the same way because uh, how you treat your brain affects how you live therapy is nice sometimes just to have someone to uh talk to and kind of run off all the things on your mind particularly if you're feeling uh anxious or a little bit down Super laid back. It's super helpful. I highly recommend it if that's something you're looking uh, to get into. Betterhelp.com is a uh, proven service that is going to make things easier for you and get your brain functioning at a more optimal capacity and feeling and living better. Check out our friends at BetterHelp. Use the promo code MPW to get 10% off. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see my man, LB's Greg, uh, and learn about his horse adventures uh, with Jake DeLome and Marlins, man. But also go by and stop and get something delicious to eat. LB's University Avenue in Oxford is the best butcher shop in the world. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me 
couple times a week and discounted meats. Just go show proof of subscription. Greg will give you a $20 or excuse me, a 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. And then go find all your own favorites. Once you get that in the bag, that's a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend football on the TV, weather cooling down slowly, but surely outside uh, it's prime grilling season. And Greg's going to help you find something awesome to throw on the grill. If he doesn't have it, he's going to help you get it because that's his whole thing. He wants to make your grilling experience great like the tri-tip, the filet burgers, all kinds of delicious cuts there. Go find your own favorites. That's what's become an Oxford staple, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Michael Borky. Looking around elsewhere at this game, because there was a lot of good elsewhere outside of the quarterback piece of it. I guess we'll keep it on offense for the time being. Uh, the running backs, holy cow. I get it, Troy. But, like, Zach Evans has a level of quickness and speed that is rare. And it's one of those things I'm far from a scout. I would consider myself a pretty untrained eye when it comes to player evaluation and all that. So I kind of lean on Weldon and some other people. But uh, that's just one of those things you know it when you see it. That level of quickness and shiftiness and also vision as well, holy cow. I, I don't know what I expected, but it was even more fun to watch than I expected. Yeah, Zach Evans is 0-6. to six is unbelievable how, how fast he gets to full speed. It's like two and a half steps. He's at full speed. Uh, just uh, getting through the line of scrimmage to the second level is unbelievable. And then Judkins for a freshman to be as physical as he, it just, he runs pissed off uh, that, that he looks mad at everybody that he's running against. I mean, he trucked a veteran line. I mean, look, it, it's still, it's Troy, but still, what, what was it? A 60 year senior that he just flat out ran over at one point in the game. I, I mean, as, as a true freshman, um, I'm surprised we didn't see more of Bentley, and maybe it was just a product of, of how weird the game got. But regardless of what the opponent was, those two guys are special, and you can see it. You, you just know that they are when you watch them. Um, they've got to get better quarterback play because when they play in the SEC, teams are going to stack the box then if they're not afraid of the quarterbacks. But, man... Uh, those two guys will win you a lot of football games. They will. They are special. The Judkins piece of it is interesting, and this is really just uh, – this really doesn't have much to do with anything, just adding context to kind of who he is. So he's a Pike Road, Alabama kid. He's an incredibly bright dude. His mom is an attorney. His dad, I think, runs a construction company. He grew up in one of those families where it's like, hey, you either make straight A's or, like, you're in trouble, pal, type of thing. A very, like, I would say – strict in a good way upbringing you know what I mean he's like the all American he's like the kid your mom wishes you were type of thing I did that NIL interview with him and keep in mind he's an 18 year old freshman I wrote the thing for the Grove Collective player profiles he asked me if he, I could send it to him so he could make his own edits and tweaks I that's a first for anything I've ever experienced in my life and he wanted <laughs> to just make a couple tweaks and how he worded some stuff and a little move some things around and boom that was his final version of it but like that's the type of kid you're dealing with in terms of like head on his shoulders. Um, he's also a skateboarder. Kid just like ran into a skate shop about like seven miles down the road from where he lived in Pike Road and just kind of taught himself how to skateboard and started doing like mixtape videos and stuff that I think he got sponsored for a little bit. Very interesting kid, very bright kid. And to your point, I guess just an absolute um, you know, rage freak in a good way when he puts on a football helmet because he did run angry. I, Kiffin said in the press conference, he asked him if, um, if he was mad at the entire state of Alabama or something. He was just as impressive. I know I feel like I glossed over Evans, but I don't know if it was the game getting weird, but Quinshawn Judkins finishes with 14 carries, Evans 20, Bentley gets two. You didn't see any of Kentrell Bullock. I don't know if that's by design, but how the game went. 
But I mean, Neil hinted this a lot. I'm sure every other one that every other person that covered, you know, practice and preseason camp kind of got the vibes that, hey, it's going to be hard to keep this Judkin kids off the field, even though we know the running back room is deep. And that ended up playing out exactly like that yesterday. He was already running back number two and really kind of one yeah. B if you look at the carries dispersion after one game. And I don't know why you would stop feeding him the ball. I don't know why you would give him the ball, you know, any less behind Evans. Um, that was impressive. And they're similar but different. But the thing that I was impressed by both of them, and after watching Jerry and Ely, who is a good player in his own right for a couple of years, the falling forward and pushing a pile or pushing two tacklers forward when you collide and make initial contact, I don't know if you can consider that an art, but they did that every single time. And you didn't see that a ton. You didn't see that as much last year with the running backs Ole Miss had. Snoop was pretty good at it, but didn't have the same type of quickness. But those dudes, anytime you hit someone, they fell three and four yards forward. Now, do that against Alabama and we'll have another conversation. But still, it was just different to watch. Yeah, almost did have a couple of backs that last year that that got significant carries that were easy to bring down. And, you know, in Ely's case, it was hard to, to get him. But when yeah. you got him, you got him down. It, 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 there wasn't the physicality element. And both of those guys had it. They, um, I thought it was a little unfair. Uh, but uh, Judkins was getting what was it Mark Ingram comparisons on the broadcast yesterday? Yeah, I thought oh, I, I, I thought breaks. I was like, all right, hold your just just slow down a little bit. I know what you're saying, but like, whoa, okay, that's a Heisman Trophy winner still in the NFL. But that's the kind of style in which he runs. He had it all. I mean, was was elusive, physical, powerful. Uh, I'm curious to see if they use them more out of the backfield, uh, catching passes and, and what their ability is. Um, man, I I don't want to get too ahead of myself because they're going to play teams that are better. But all camp people were talking about the running back room being better than it was a year ago. They're right. They're right. You didn't even see Kentrell Bullock, and he's not a bad back in his own no. right. He got a little bit of run in 2020 and not as much last year because of the whole Snoop and then Henry Parrish thing, but that's not a bad running back, and that kid is a complete and total afterthought. It's You're right, and that's why, that's why I kind of hesitate after one game to do the whole, well, what are they going to do when teams sell out to stop the run? They were pretty vanilla offensively, and I think there's different ways they can combat it even beyond just strictly pushing the ball down the field using those backs and kind of this short and intermediate passing game, um, as well as the fact that the passing game will probably look a hell of a lot different. They were also very vanilla with things as well. And so those running backs are real assets. And it's not just we're going to be three yards in a cloud of dust type of thing. They both appear to be pretty decent pass catchers out of the backfield as well. Those are real weapons that you can form a team identity around beyond just we're going to run over you Wisconsin style type of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know what else you can say. There's nothing, there's yeah. no, like, well, but type of thing. They were awesome. <laughs> uh, the, You know, I was talking to Evans for that same NIL thing this summer. I asked him, I, I would never, like, talk about any of this if it was, like, salacious stuff. I just find it funny, and it's all, like, positive. But, like, I asked him what sets him apart as a running back, and he goes, man, there's not many running back that make their own holes. I was like, okay, fair, fair enough. <laughs> so he's confident as well but i would be too it's uh and i think the underrated part of it that you'll maybe see a little bit more as the competition increases when he was when he decided to transfer to old miss and you would talk to people about you know who is this kid kind of try to get a little more clarity on why his recruitment panned out the way it did and you know i've told this story before 
one of the like better, I think, glimpses of just how hyped this kid was that I got was from a buddy of mine out here scoring free NASCAR pit tickets in May to the NASCAR All-Star Race. Well, long story short, we ended up being basically like the hype man for this guy named Josh Williams, who's in the Xfinity series, the step below like the actual NASCAR thing. So we're just like hanging out on his bus, drinking Bush Light, trying to figure out how the hell we got here. We just thought we were getting like a tour of their garage or something. But there were two TCU offensive linemen that were buddies with someone there type of thing. And so we're all just standing there and I was just making small talk. And I was like, yeah, I used to be a reporter, blah, 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 covered Ole Miss. I've heard a lot of good things about Zach Evans and both of them immediately, like they didn't say like, Oh yeah, he's awesome. Both of them just literally in unison said he's the best running back I've ever seen and just kind of left it at that. And I was like, okay, wow. that's when you kind of started knowing things are different. They didn't have any reason to say that. I wasn't asking them in any sort of interview setting. Um, I was trying not to drink all of the free beer and make an ass out of myself at this uh, NASCAR race. We were not supposed to be at, but that's the type of thing you heard about him is my point. And it's, it's proven true. Can he stay healthy? Can he stay on the field? for 12 games is a whole nother, you know, question mark. But man, when he's at his best, that's just a lot. It's hard to describe, but you can just see it. It's different and it's special. Yeah, absolutely it is. And I, I, I'm curious to see, or I, I'm excited to see, honestly, what happens when they do have to get a little bit more creative. Because yesterday, uh, th that was not anywhere close. And, and they did this last year, too. They were absolutely intentionally vanilla when they knew they were better than the teams they were playing. Liberty and Vanderbilt stand out to me. They could have beaten Liberty by 40 last year if they wanted to. They could have beaten Vanderbilt by 40 last year if they wanted to. They just... I'm not saying they intentionally kept the scores of those games close. I'm saying they did not unleash the offense in those games the way they could have. Because why? why would you? We've got more important games next week. Let's dial it back. Let's be super vanilla and win the game and focus on being better prepared for next week. I can't tell you the number of people that way overthought the Vanderbilt game last year. And, well, Ole Miss looked like that last week. State's going to kill them. No. Nope. That's not really how it went. No. They, they, it's because, as in effect, they didn't try against Vanderbilt. And that might rub some people the wrong way, but – they didn't, and I felt like there was a lot of that yesterday offensively and defensively. I didn't love uh, – because they, they didn't blitz all that much, but when they would bring pressure, they, they were really soft in coverage, and I thought, you you have better defensive backs than that. You, you don't have to give that much of a cushion when you're bringing pressure because your guys are good enough anyway. That, that was my only complaint, really, about them defensively is at times they were playing too soft to coverage, and maybe that was by design, but – that was an extremely vanilla day. And Troy was doing a lot of like, what was it, like cover four where they were saying, you are not throwing behind us. You're not doing it. So don't try because we're going to keep everybody as far back as we possibly can. And Ole Miss was like, all right, fine. We'll give it to these two guys and we'll win. And then when we leave, we're going to shut it down because – we don't need to do anything more than this. It, it, not saying they didn't try, but that wasn't anywhere close. Not anywhere close to what they are capable of in terms of scheme and play calling on offense. Not anywhere close. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like, the flip side of that, I kind of got confused there for a second. But similarly, it was Ole Miss. They didn't blitz a lot either. They were very vanilla defensively. I don't know what you thought about them defensively, but my two main takeaways were, one, 
they again tiny sample size but after a game it appears they've kind of struck gold in some departments in the transfer portal again um Kari coleman was absolutely electric that kid i think had two sacks five tackles for loss he was yep. everywhere in the backfield he was incredibly quick um kiffin kind of mentioned it after the game where it's like we knew this kid could be like this it's just a matter of can he learn to play that inside linebacker spot and kind of learn to do some of the different things he's going to be asked to do in this defense, as opposed to whatever they ran at uh, TCU. I don't know what it was, but clearly different than this. I thought the Ladarius Tennyson did some nice things. Ashim Young played pretty well too. Uh, they, my main takeaway defensively was the transfer piece of it. And the fact that they're really quick again, defensively, they tackle really well in space and they populate the football a hell of a lot better than they did for the previous half decade before this whole new regime came in. There was some stuff like when Troy had a little bit of success early on running between the tackles when it seemed like, you know, again, I'm far from an expert here. could be talking out of my ass, but when the linebackers either got sucked up or filled wrong or just didn't make a play, like they got, they kind of got some push there, but man, for the most part, that defense was really quick and they swarmed. Yeah. And same principle applies to the defense's offense. Like that, that was their first time largely playing together. And a new system, uh, well, not necessarily a new system, but with a new voice calling the plays. It, it, Chris Partridge is not DJ Durkin, although there are some similarities with what they'll do, apparently. They're not the same people. So it's a new guy calling the plays, and it's new guys playing defense for them. Troy Brown, I thought, did some nice things as well. But you can't forget, this is his first time playing at Ole Miss. That was his first day playing for – that was Kari Coleman's first day playing for Ole Miss. That was Ladarius Tennyson. I, I, all these guys. It was their first time. And so, yes, uh, Coleman, his speed, uh, when, when he would make the correct read, the, the closing speed was shocking. I, I mean, I was surprised. Like, literally, I was like, wait, who the hell is this guy? And then <laughs> Kari Coleman, wow, okay. I didn't know they had this kind of ability at linebacker. And it is Troy. But the speed stands out regardless of who your opponent is. It really does. And I always had kind of had the same thing. One of the things that annoys me about the beginning of the year, I wish, one, I get it with new guys, but can these guys stop changing numbers? It's going to take me three and a half games to not have to. And I did the same thing last year to not have to look down at my phone and have the roster up just in real time to be like, wait, who is that again without being able to see it? That part is wild. But then the first dry, I think he got in in the second or third series and made a pretty quick play at the line of scrimmage. And I was like, who the hell is 23? And then it happened again. And I was like, okay, oh, this is Kari Coleman. The thing that's going to be interesting to me about defense is, one, like we just mentioned, they were pretty vanilla. I think from a blitzing and aggression standpoint, if, you know, um, Chris Partridge's lineage and who he grew, grew up studying under from a football standpoint is any indication, they're going to be a hell of a lot more aggressive than they were yesterday. There wasn't a huge, like, defensive line in and out rotation, like I think you'll see in SEC games. It was a lot of, so it was Cedric Johnson, KD Hill, and Tavius Robinson. And then it would be Jared Ivey, JJ Pegese, and was it Aiton? I can't remember who else was on the other side. I guess it wouldn't have been Aiton. I can't remember the third guy on the other side, but you get the point. Like it was very much like they kind of got a series, then they'd get a series. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily the kind of normal switching out that I think you'll see. But what I'm curious to see is it looks like the same identity. They have a lot of secondary guys that are kind of in between linebacker safety types, the Tysheem Johnsons of the world. I uh, didn't see a ton of Trey Washington yesterday, but Ladarius Tennyson type guys that are up and around the line of scrimmage. I think that identity will be similar to last year, um, at least based off one game. 
I wonder, I, I still kind of wonder about the linebacker spots. Like in, in six games, are your two linebackers set in stone as Troy Brown and Austin Keys? I'm not so sure, uh, particularly with this Kari Coleman thing. But Kari's weird because he's kind of an edge guy. Like, can they use him at that inside linebacker thing? Um, I forget what he's listed at. But I think there's still some some question marks, I would still say, at linebacker. But for the most part, it looks like a similar identity. These guys are going to knock the hell out of you. They're going to populate the football well. And while imperfect, they have some really good athleticism and Finally, I think the biggest difference from a year ago is just real depth on the defensive line. I think they can play more guys than they did yesterday, and I think you'll see it rotate more regularly once you get into real competition. Yeah, yeah, and I'm curious to see what that rotation looks like. But um, I, I don't know. I, I got a couple of texts yesterday, and, and it was like defense was not impressive. I was like, "What are you talking?" Oh. I thought, are we gonna are we gonna do this about everything? I mean, and Troy really tried to get the ball out fast and, and really tried to keep things underneath because I I don't think they expected to be able to protect long enough and, and they were right they couldn't protect long enough. Um, oh gosh, what was his name? Uh, Watson um, got beat up and and they even still uh, I, I thought Pagies did some nice things, missed a tackle, uh, but that's part of the growing pains of playing a new position. Really, also nearly doing killed it full time. Yeah, and uh, I, I I put on Twitter if that was targeting, then football needs to be canceled. I mean, do, do we have to? Do we really have to throw a flag and do the review thing for every big hit? Like, was it because I mean, the helmet popped off? I feel like that's yeah. just a trigger to throw the flag. Yeah, and the ref walked up and like put the flag down. It just, I you they got it right the first time, so I shouldn't be complaining about them getting a call correct because they got it right, which which good, great, but. They didn't throw the flag right away because they knew it wasn't targeting. And I guess just something in them was like, oh, well, we should review it and let's put the flag. It was a perfectly fine hit. And you knew it in real time. It's just whatever was going on on Troy's sidelines with their equipment manager, nobody could keep their helmet on. How many Troy helmets did we see flying all over the field yesterday? Nobody could keep their helmets on. But yeah, I don't know. They're an Adidas company, Rydell. They need to make a switch because that was just getting egregious at that point. That poor Gunner Watson kid or whatever his name is, he goes out there and he has to take this beating. I don't know who they play next week, but the poor kid's probably not even going to be their quarterback. They got that kid that transferred in from West Virginia who's literally been with the program for like 10 days who was on the sideline yesterday, Doge or Doji, whatever his name is, that it, in all for by all accounts sounds like is probably going to take over. So – Think about being that poor kid. He's got to go get the hell knocked out of an old miss. I don't know who they play next week and then probably hand over the keys to the more talented guy. That that's that's not a job I'd sign up for, but more power to him. He was tough, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah, he was tough. Um yeah, they they kept everything underneath, or at least tried to anyway. Uh they've got Alabama AM, so a little bit of a break. For okay, them. That, fair enough. I hope he pads his stats and has a hell of a day. Yeah, for sure. But it, it looked like they had real depth. Uh, they've got real talent on that side of the ball. Um, linebacker's still going to be a question for a little while because it has to be. But the, the first audition Holman was a good a one. a lot with that, too, just to add on to that. You know what I mean? I didn't know yeah. what to expect from him. That 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 doesn't solve it, but I'm curious to see how it plays out now. It seemed more yeah. encouraging. Yeah, it's the the first iteration of the Ole Miss linebackers was a good one. You should be encouraged by what you saw there. At least I I think you should be. Um, they are who I thought they were defensively. Depth, real depth, talent. Wonder about pass rush, but again, Troy really tried to get the ball out quickly, and it still wasn't enough. Uh, won't know for sure until competition increases, but that was an encouraging sign yesterday, or should have been. 
and I just as I was about to pull this up just to remind some people, this is still four years removed from giving up 400 yards and 41 points to Southern Illinois in a 76 to 41 win in the, uh, what was probably the uh, high point or the low point, however you want to uh, frame it of the, uh, of the old Wesley McGriff era. I mean, it, it was bare not too long ago and it's, it's completely changed. And yeah, I'm interested to see kind of what, when they get into it, what they're able to do and how much more complex it is, but it does seem like it will look different, right? It was a lot of three down linemen, two linebackers and a bunch of secondary guys moving all over the field. Some at the line of scrimmage, um, which I don't know. I, I'd be curious to ask Buchanan this. I wonder if that is confusing where it's, it's five of your typical kind of up front guys. And then a bunch of secondary guys at varying sizes that can do a whole lot of different things. I, I wonder if that for a quarterback is confusing and more difficult to read. I really have no idea. Um, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. Yeah. I guess the real point was it does look like a similar identity. They're not going to be drastically different. It looks yeah. like at least in personnel. Um, it just looks like they've gotten a little bit better and a little bit deeper, particularly in the defensive line with the personnel that they do have. Yeah. And uh, the, the the story in camp was that they're going to be more aggressive under Partridge. I, I'm excited to see what that's going to look like because they've got the bodies. And my gosh, bringing Coleman on, on like a delayed blitz. I mean, he's going to come out like a damn slingshot. Just that kind of stuff. I'm excited to see how they approach that because they've got the bodies to really be multiple on defense and creative if they want to. He's not Jake Springer's position, but in terms of the get back in the backfield, go send this guy kind of crazy dude type of thing, like he might play that role. He's 6'2", 220. And I don't remember what what uh, what um, who uh, Jake Springer was listed as, but they don't necessarily play the same way. But just in terms of like getting up to the line of scrimmage and being like, who the hell hit the guy two yards in the backfield to blow that up, that feels very, very similar in that regard. And, you know, for what Jake Springer was for Ole Miss last year, so Springer was 6'1", 205. So actually a little more similar than I thought in terms of building everything. But, like, that feels pretty similar in the sense of, you know, that was an invaluable role for Ole Miss. I don't know what it translates to the next level or anything else. But for what Jake Springer was asked to do, he was invaluable for Ole Miss last year. And I wonder if Coleman kind of slides into a, a, a similar role that way. Again, a lot of leaping to make after one game, but just he popped a lot on television. Yeah, Coleman, uh, Tennyson as well. Uh, a lot of guys did. Uh, they really did. I, I was expecting a little bit more from Cedric Johnson, although it did, without like keeping notes of it, it looked like he did get doubled a good bit. And with good reason. I mean, like, you know, yeah. I mean, there's no Sam Williams on the other side, right? Like that, I, I imagine he spent all of, all of the offseason knowing that was going to be the case, or God, at least I hope so. Um, another switching number guy that I didn't enjoy, I kept being like, who the hell is two? And it's like, right, he switched numbers again. Um but, yeah, he's going to be really, really good, and that's going to be a challenge for him this year. Can he take that Sam Williams – I don't want to say maturity leap, but just in maturity in terms of how you approach being the guy that's going to draw more double teams and become a more complete uh, pass rusher. That was Weldon's guy in recruiting. He's super high on that kid. It certainly panned out in that regard. But, like, that's someone we've kind of been watching really from 2020 on is like, wow, this kid is, uh, this kid is good and this kid's really ready. I remember Weldon told a story one time of Kiffin in 2020 – because I believe that was his, uh, that was Johnson's redshirt freshman year, being like, "Hey, who the hell is this guy? And why didn't he play last year? Like, what what's the deal with this?" And then, of course, yeah. you, you see him turn into what he turned into. Um, before we kind of get around to uh, just college football as a whole and react to some games, just cleaning up some very random notes here. This is just kind of the rapid fire portion of it. Um, 
four for four on extra points. And when you got a kicker that doesn't have clean pee after a year after liability of uh, a kicker that was not very good, uh, congrats to Mr. Cruz or whatever that kid's name is, that he was not a liability. Uh, probably yeah, did. That's a little more five touchbacks. But, hey, it, it wasn't – I hate to do this to the kid, but it wasn't Luke Logan. It, it was not. And, uh, sadly, we didn't get to see the uh, the uh, the punt frat god who's got his own merchandise, by the way. He that, made, uh, his 10 minutes of fame, he made the most of it, and it, it won't turn into on-field production because uh, Fraser Mason is back. He assumed the punting duties, but the, that kid will always have that week where he was known as the, the keg party kid. Um, so <laughs> good for him, I guess. There are some special teams, Gaff. You mentioned the punt thing earlier with Jalen Robinson. That was so bad. I was like, does he know that that was punt return? I thought he was trying to down it on the one. I thought he may have thought he was on punt cover. That, that was weird. Uh, that was kind of your first first game. Yeah, and he's played a good bit of football. I, that that was yeah, I don't, that was that was very clearly one of those brain fart territory things because he kind of ran off the sideline, being like, "I'm not sure what I did, but it wasn't good," type of thing. Yeah. Um, first game. I don't know if this means anything, but no, Jalen Knox. I didn't see him. I don't. I don't remember him being out there. He didn't really register a catch. That's that Missouri kid that was kind of the the mystery kid because it's like. Hmm. who still has to sit out when they transfer type of thing? What's this guy's deal? Um, he, he Remember, he went through like the typical transfer, the old-fashioned yeah. way to sit out for a year. And it's like, what do we actually know about this kid? I don't remember seeing him out here. He didn't register a catch. Um, you know, your starters were what? Malik Heath, um, Jonathan Mingo, and then the slot was Robinson. I, I still think at the end of the day, that will probably, if if – I don't know, expectations meet reality to some degree, probably still be a better three than last year, um, particularly if they remain healthy. And then, you know, what do you do with the J.J. Henry types? I mean, look, Dennis Jackson hit the transfer portal on Friday, and I don't think Which anyone- is a, such a bizarre move, by the way. I, I, I mean, what what benefit does that give you? Why, you can't why go not- anywhere, can you, and play? No, no. Yeah. So, so play this season, get – when you do get in the game, play as hard as you can, get some good reps on film, and increase your chances. Instead, it's you hit the portal before the season started, and you haven't played in a year, and you haven't been practicing, and uh, I mean, it, it just limits your prospects. It, very bad advice is what he got. I want to be careful about this, and I because again, they are kids. But with I'll put it to you this way: with Dennis Jackson, it was never a talent thing. Um, it was putting it all together and kind of everything that goes along with being a mature, productive college athlete and football player and receiver at that level. And I don't know what went into the transfer portal thing or the decision to do that, but it seeming odd on the surface kind of seems at least somewhat to remain on brand with how that career went. But to, to, to that point, I guess, is like they lost Dennis Jackson and like I don't I didn't see anyone really blink or bat much of an eye. Whereas if like Dennis Jackson entered the portal last year, it's like, well, he was an option to catch passes. Like, what, right. what's the deal yeah. here type of thing? You know what I mean? Like and date uh Dayton Wade, the walk-on who I did hand up, didn't know existed until about 14 days ago. He uh definitely played a lot and caught a couple passes. You know, you at least saw Wat, uh, Watkins out there. Um, none of these guys were over productive, right? Trigg leads the uh, team in catches, four catches, 28 yards. Mingo with three, Wade with three, and then Evans with two and Watkins with two. And then Heath k- catches the touchdown. But in terms of who you saw out there, it was basically what we expected minus the Jalen Knox thing. I don't know if he's injured. I don't know what the deal is, but that was the one shock there. And I just had that note written down. Um, 
offensive line wise, so you know the whole thing with um, Jalen uh, Jay and Williams becoming the left tackle and Jeremy James sliding the right tackle and Mason Brooks kind of being the odd man out uh, came to fruition because that's how they started the game. But then they flip flop James to right tackle, or excuse me, James started at left tackle. I believe it was Williams at right tackle. And then they flip flopped him where he goes to right tackle. I think I may have that backwards. That's not the point when they did sub again, like when they made the sub, it wasn't Mason Brooks. They put in Micah Pettis. Mason Brooks didn't hardly play at all and came in at the very end of the game at guard. Um, I don't know what to make of that. I'm just throwing it out there. It was something I wrote down while watching the game yesterday. But for a guy that was kind of a, you know, one year of eligibility left, hired gun to be a tackle, move broker inside and solidify the offensive line. Um, that's certainly a uh, interesting and kind of strange development. Look, you're going to need depth. You're probably not going to make it through the year with five or even six offensive linemen. It's a good problem to have, presumably. But I just thought that was interesting. I didn't think it was overly weird until they did sub and it was Micah Pettis at right tackle and James going over to left instead of Brooks. Yeah, I wonder if that, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I, I don't know. It's a guess. I don't know. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? I'd be completely guessing. I, I really have no clue. Same here, because I have no idea. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's, I, I don't know. I mean, again, I, but then him going in at guard at the end of the game, I was like, okay, um, Snap thing probably needs to get figured out. Look, I don't know who's behind him at center, um, but they don't need Caleb Bourne to get hurt because if he is the starting center, I don't know what the second team snapping looks like. Um, I talked to Broker for the Nick Broker show a couple of times. He he informed me that he did try snapping one time, and he's doing it after practice just for some NFL versatility. But uh, to say he loved it in uh, game and scrimmage action would uh, would be an uh, overstatement. He, he did not love it. It's harder than it looks is basically his uh, – his assessment of it, but um, I don't know. That's just another thing. It was like, all right, he had some center snap, uh, you know, snafus there. Um, hopefully, no one gets hurt there because that that could turn into a real. Um, uh, what's the guy in major league who can't throw the ball back to the pitcher situation? That that could get weird in a hurry. Um, that was really everything I had. Everyone else, I thought there weren't any shockers defensively. Did anything else stick out to you, just in terms of playing, not playing that type of thing in game one? Pretty much, yeah. I mean it. Uh, like we said at the beginning, it's hard to, it's really hard to get a real read about this team after this particular game. Yeah, it really is. Um, Igba Davison, I keep saying his name's Igba Nosen. I Can I get a pron uh, pronunciation guide from the big J's upstairs? Is, is it Igbonison? Igbonison? I don't, I haven't gotten that one down yet, but he was as good at advertising for him to make an impact in that secondary and get on the field. To that start? Time. Yeah. That 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 means he's a dude. That means he's a real guy. That's pretty damn impressive because that that position group and secondary as a whole is deep and talented. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I you know, I, I guess they have to, or do they have to, limit rotations at some point, or do you play as, as many guys as they did yesterday? I think you have to refine it and maybe get a little bit more organized and maybe trim it down a little bit. But no, I mean, look, AJ Finley, one of the moments that stood out in camp to me from a, a media standpoint was, I think he got asked about this and he didn't want to make it sound like he wanted to play less football, but he was like, man, it would be nice if we could play 60 snaps a game instead of 85. You know what I mean? Just from a yeah. standpoint. So I think you probably, you know, try to get it figured out a little bit, but I think for the most part, it's just kind of more organization and how you want to do it. But I think playing that many guys is only going to make them a stronger team largely. Um, 
that was really about everything I had from an old Miss standpoint. Again, it was game one. Um, there were a ton of other game ones across the uh, across the college football landscape. Just uh, hitting the high points, hitting a couple here. Um, Billy Napier, one game, I get it. But with the way he recruits and everything you hear about him, the way he runs and establishes a program, he's probably going to be okay at Florida. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think he'll be all right. It's almost like uh, you don't have to go make gigantic, splashy hires all the time, and you just go find a guy that's – and it doesn't always work, right? Like Texas has made the right hire and has still failed. But, I mean, Billy Napier was exceptional at Louisiana. He was exceptional. And, and why should anybody be surprised that a really good football coach still is a really good – football coach yeah sometimes it's that simple like i don't know why dave clausen hasn't gotten calls uh, in these coaching carousels he's winning at one of the worst power five jobs out there one of them if you made a a top 10 worst power five job or a bottom 10 power five job you would put wake forest on there i think maybe not but i I think you could put it on there and he's consistently winning and yet nobody calls him I, i don't understand it but yeah, I'm not surprised at all that Napier's great. Not not one little bit. Yeah, no, I, I I'm with you. Part of the that part of it too is like it. So at some point, size of the school matters. Wake is so small. I imagine these support. My high school had more students than Wake Forest. Yeah, that's absolutely that's bonkers. Um, yeah, he'd be fine. I I, I don't necessarily. I hope they don't do the because of what happened to Oregon. The uh, off seed Pac-12 can't do anything. I I was impressed with Utah. I know they lost the football game, but you know if that guy doesn't slip and the and the linebacker doesn't make one hell of a play and they win that game, talking about a whole different life. I, I thought I was impressed with Cam Rising. He was really really tough, and I thought they were just a good football team that came out on the wrong side of it against what appears to be could be another good football team in a loud environment. I, I didn't leave that game having any gripes with Utah at all. I was actually kind of impressed. It just you know sucks for them that it didn't work out. Yeah, I do think that underscores what the Utah job is. The Whittingham has done such a good job and always has good teams, and they're so well coached, and yet they're not better than a brand-new head coach in his first time at a new school in the SEC. You know what I mean? It's they, yeah. they didn't – they're so well coached and they were so physical, but they didn't have the same athletes that Florida did. And that's after a few years of bad recruiting for Florida standards. It's just different. You're right. It's I mean, and we're huge Kyle uh, – on the Sunday show here, we're huge Kyle Whittingham stands. We don't – we've never really understood why he doesn't get, you know, consideration for other jobs. They just – all that guy does is win, and they are always well coached. And that was a hell of a football game. Um I, to be honest, I didn't catch much of Georgia-Oregon because it was the Ole Miss game. Cincinnati-Arkansas was going on as well. And then by the time I had kind of had the, the TV set up to where I could free it up a little bit, it was a complete laugher. Did you catch any of this? Oregon must just be bad, or is Georgia that good? What do you mean? I, My God, I put it on for, for two series, and that's all I needed to see. Uh, that, that was it. It's just like uh, – because – I had Ole Miss on, obviously, and Arkansas-Cincinnati, and I flipped to Georgia-Oregon and watched a couple of series, and I was like, you know what? This is a waste of time. Went back to Arkansas-Cincinnati and never bothered to look at it again. Georgia's approaching the – I don't think Kirby's smart as Nick Saban, but in terms of players, there no longer needs to be the offseason. Well, Georgia lost a lot on – state fans have done Does not matter. State fans have done this. Some state fans have talked themselves into thinking they're beating Georgia this year. And, I, and I've and i been like, hey, guys, no, stop, stop. You No, you're not. 
they are significantly better than you and everybody on their schedule, not named Alabama. Just don't, don't talk yourself into it. Yeah, but see, two years ago, Will Rogers played well in Athens. Remember that? Yeah, that was two years ago. Yeah, well, Georgia, they lost five first-round picks on defense. Yes, who are they being replaced with? They are they are Alabama now in terms of don't talk about what they've lost because it doesn't matter. Because they, this they, is now matter. four and five classes in of dominating recruiting. Yes. That's why. Like, yeah. you're right. It doesn't matter. Whatever Saban's the greatest coach of all time – Kirby has gotten wherever Saban is up on this. Uh, people can't see this, but wherever he's gotten on the mountaintop, Kirby has reached a peak or summit that no one else but him has in this last 20 years. Like whatever that is, the reloading constantly being there, like even Ohio state, I guess he's the next close comparison, but he's there and you're right. Like, you know, in a year where they don't have anyone, you know, I, it really does help having a ninth year senior and quarterback at Stetson Bennett that knows exactly what you want to do. And maybe there's a year where they, you know, go nine and three because they just don't have it at quarterback or injuries or something. But you're right. In terms of questioning their talent level anymore and what they lose off of X year's team and supposed to next year's is an irrelevant conversation to me till proven otherwise. Now, I think that's yeah. the takeaway from yesterday's game and well put. I mean, my God. So, I mean, this whole talk of the East may be having a window for someone else. No. I don't I know. Mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, could Florida – they're not last year's defense where that Florida game was close for a half and then the defense literally scored like two and a half touchdowns basically before halftime. Yes. They're not that level. So, could someone pick them off when they get them at home? Yeah, maybe. But the, the East is closed, too, and probably the yes. West. But that's, again, that's a conversation for another day. But they're damn good is my point. Uh, was it Chris Doring who was on the SEC Network that said Kentucky's going to go 11-1, and one, but their one loss is going to be to Tennessee? I saw that. It's like, oh, well, so that means they beat like, Georgia? Like, I Yes, like, dude, come on. I, I want to sit these guys down. After college game day last weekend, where Kirk Herbstreet said that Nebraska's going to win the Big Ten West, Nebraska, who should have oh, lost God. to North Dakota yesterday. And Desmond Howard put Pittsburgh and Texas A&M and Utah, and I forget the other one, in his uh, Baylor, at the, right? It was Baylor? Yeah. In, in his playoff teams. And Chris Doring's having Kentucky go 11-1. and one. I want to sit these people down and say, you don't actually think that, right? Like, like you don't really think that this is going to happen, do you? Because no, there's absolutely no way. No way that Chris Doring thinks that Kentucky's going 11 and one. There is no way. So what I don't understand, I mean, I guess this is what gets you on television, I guess. Why do you do that? What benefit is there for you doing that? Oh, well, he's edgy. He's different and he's wrong. <laughs> that he is. I mean, I get predictions wrong all the time. I get stuff wrong all the time, but that's intentional. Desmond Howard's playoff teams, that was intentionally different just for the sake of being different. There, He has a better chance at going over than getting one of those teams in. And so why are you even doing that other than just like Kirk Herbstreet? You know Nebraska's not winning the Big Ten West, Kirk. You know that. So why say it? I don't understand that. I get being different because the sport's so top heavy, but pick the, of those Desmond Howard teams, pick one and have that as your one different team. Don't put four of them in there. Because like Utah would have made sense. Like, yeah, Utah, I get it. That good, good sure. pick. I get you. Yeah. But yeah. like you, t Pittsburgh, sure, they could run through the ACC again. Yeah. Okay. But the four of them, it, it, I mean, you think Texas A&M's going to have a better record and beat 
Alabama in Tuscaloosa? Yeah, no, thanks. No, and I, I watched a good bit of A&M yesterday. Haynes King does some nice things. He's talented, but, buddy, that guy's not winning a championship. Nope. He, Yeah, he's better than Calzada. I could see how he yeah. won the job. The coach's kid thing, he's mobile. I get it, but I, a lot of improvement to be uh, had there. Cincinnati-Arkansas, really good game. You know, uh, Cincinnati had a, a crucial turnover early in the game that I really thought shifted the the way that game played out. Um I was pretty impressed with Cincinnati. A year off the playoff, they were replacing a lot. They have a new quarterback, and they were they were in that game until the end of that game, and looked like they belong on the field. And if you want to do, if you if I'll have a hot take from this weekend, with the way this college football landscape is changing and the conference musical chairs and all that, Cincinnati has now played Georgia down to the wire in a Chick Fil A bowl game in the COVID year wasn't embarrassed by Alabama in the playoff and then went on the road at Arkansas and played a damn good game with the chance to win it. I get it. Moral victories, you know, poke holes in that all you want. Why do we hold them to a higher standard than Oregon, who, aside from a win at Ohio State last year that proved to be kind of the fluke of the year, can't take that away from them. But, like, why are, why are them and Notre Dame held to a lower standard? I get it. It's the quality of scheduling. But, like, that was embarrassing from Oregon yesterday. Like, you know, they're the number 11 team with Bo Nix at quarterback with the first-year head coach. Like, no thanks. Like Cincinnati, you know, whatever you want to make of the group of five, has proven that they can play with just about anyone in this at any level in this league and compete to some degree. I just don't understand why they're continually held at a higher standard than some of these other ones. He's built a good program that can win at any level. Maybe we'll see it when they join the Big 12. But I was in, I'm both impressed by Arkansas's toughness to win a game like that. But Cincinnati's a real program. And, like, if you stuck them yeah. in the SEC, if you stuck them with Tennessee's schedule, would they do much worse than Tennessee? Would they do much worse than Auburn will do this year? You know no. what I mean? Like, I, I was impressed with them, I guess, no. is my point. No, I think yesterday was more about Cincinnati than it was Arkansas. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's impressive. They, they lost everything, man. They lost quarterback. What was it, top three or four wide receivers, all the running backs, all their best defensive players, bunch of NFL guys, and they shot themselves in the foot early. They probably could have, should have, would have won that game. Yep. And they're real. I mean, I said that after the playoff. We had people texting into our show, see, Cincinnati didn't belong. It's like, well, who would have fared better against Alabama than that? Because I watched Alabama play a full schedule, and I promise you if you put A&M in that spot, it would have gone worse than, than what Cincinnati did. They belong. They, they proved you that they belonged last year, even in a loss in the playoff. They went to Notre Dame and won, by the way, last year. They're losing a touchdown game in a – established SEC West team with quarterback and coordinator returning on both sides of the ball, coordinators returning, all continuity, first game replacing everybody, and that's how they play? They're legit, man. And now that the playoff is getting expanded, and I guess it, it wouldn't matter either way, but now that the playoff is getting expanded, Cincinnati's going to be a mainstay, I think. They're going to be the best team in the Big 12 as long as Luke Fickle's there. And if you're him with the way this landscape is until you get the like until that Ohio State job opens, what incentive if he's happy in Cincinnati does he have to go take another job? I, I wouldn't do it. Like they're yeah. in a nice little spot there. You're you're winning, you're making a ton of money, and when when your dream job comes open, you can go take it. Introducing Welcome Unlimited from Verizon. We'll put on the old uh, ESPN highlight there. Forgot to mute my screen. Uh, all kinds of background noise on this one on my end here. Uh just kind of bounced around a couple other ones. State, I thought looked pretty good for the most part. Um 
that looked like Will Rogers' third year in the system when a and where timing is everything and his timing is almost robotic. I don't think Memphis is very good, but man, that state offense ran the ball better and they looked impre- I was impressed with state yesterday. Receivers and running backs were my two takeaways there. Yeah, they, I mean, Memphis couldn't cover them at all. It just simply couldn't cover state. Rogers is comfortable and accurate. Um, I, you know, people are going to draw sweeping conclusions about the offensive line. Oh, yeah, they were fine without Charles Cross. Let's wait until they play somebody with adequate defensive line, or any adequate members on the defensive line before we start making that declaration. But but they'll be an issue. I mean, they're going to be a team. They're going to be like last year. If they can be more consistent, they'll be an eight, nine win team. I mean, they, they should have been that a year ago if they had a kicker and, and relative consistency. So, um, They've got an interesting test coming up, too, with Arizona. 10 o'clock Central start next weekend in Tucson. Pac-12 after dark, baby. And in Arizona, look, it, it's San Diego State, I know, but what was that, an 11-win team last year? Yeah. And and they went to San Diego and beat them, and beat them comfortably. It's a unique test for them next week. But, yeah, Rodgers is good. Uh, he, he's impressive, accurate, all that. Um, Memphis just didn't have anybody that could cover a, at all. They, I mean – they would do some of the right things defensively, like force the check down to the running back, which state fans are so frustrated with or have been last year because that never works because in the SEC, you have eight guys in coverage. And when you dump it off to a running back, there is a safety and a linebacker that are able to make tackles in space and it doesn't go anywhere. That worked yesterday because Memphis didn't have anybody that could make the tackles in space necessary. Uh, it was good. They executed well, uh, but you know, it's Memphis, and that's you, – you've got to put that qualifier on a game like that. But they're going to be better than Ole Miss fans think that they're going to be. I also take away from one game yesterday for sure. Real quick, I would be remiss if I didn't at least touch on the K.J. Jefferson thing. For a guy that was told what he wasn't for quite a while, credit to having good coaches that actually build an offense tailored to his strengths because of what he is, is really damn impressive. And uh, I, he could quarterback my team. If I was, if I was playing and my, I was saying to KJ Jefferson as quarterback, yep. I, I, I wouldn't lose any sleep. I'd be like, Oh yeah, let's do this. He, uh, ever since that Arkansas Ole Miss game last year, I've been very much on the KJ Jefferson bandwagon. He's such a unique player. He's learned. It seems like the throwing is gradually improving. Um, I won't do the whole Ole Miss could have used him thing, but still, like that, he's he's damn good. And I feel like I glossed over that in kind of my glowing praise for Cincinnati. But credit to Sam Pittman, Kendall Bryles, and KJ Jefferson because he's he's a hell of a lot of fun to watch too. He is a fun quarterback to watch play football. Yeah, he is t- just tough as hell too. I I hope that it, it looks like he gets beat up every game, and I wonder if the physical toll is going to end up being too much for him. But it isn't today. Being 6'7", 250 helps mask that toll. You know, maybe eight, nine years down the road, I get, I don't want to compare it to Cam Newton, but you know what I mean? Like, you can accept a little more when you're just built that way, which is yeah. pretty wild. The only other main thing from yesterday, I thought, was just kind of the Ohio State-Notre Dame game. I thought that was, we'll call it a classy defeat for Notre Dame. First, new guy at quarterback, their defense played really well. Um, they just didn't really have the horses on offense, and you know, Ohio State kept beating their chest about a new coordinator and their defense being improved after really kind of sucking on defense for three years in a row. And I don't know what to make of it, but hey, 10 points and the amount of yardage they allowed, good for them. That was just a really good football game. I like that Freeman got Notre Dame. I think he's going to be just fine. And uh, that was just an entertaining game. I was relatively impressed with both teams, except for kind of the CJ Stroud piece of it. I didn't necessarily love all of that, but good game yes. against two teams that I think will be, you know, 10 win teams and in Ohio State's case, probably a playoff team. 
Yeah, it is really funny to realize that Marcus Freeman played at Ohio State. I mean, that that little wrinkle yesterday uh, cracked me up. Just showing the like the game day programs yeah. with, with him on it, and that's that's pretty cool. But yeah, Stroud wasn't all that impressive. But is that a product more of of Notre Dame's defense and and what they were able to do, or was Stroud bad? I don't know. But Ohio State has has too much talent to be as bad as they've been the last couple of years defensively. So. I think they're a title contender. I think Notre Dame, even with the loss, can can if they run the table. I mean, look, a ten point loss in Columbus is that really going to keep you out of a playoff spot? I don't think so. It's not like their season is over, nor should it be. I was kind of impressed by them. There anything else? I think we kind of covered the main storylines. Anything else stick out yesterday? Um, I watched uh, most of Iowa's absolutely shocking offense yesterday. Seven three. Against North Dakota. Without a touchdown. Football. No touchdowns. That that was seven points scored on two safeties in a field goal. That is wow. I didn't actually know that. I didn't watch yep. that. Okay. Two uh, safeties in a field goal. No, they did not score a touchdown. Their offense is pathetic. I cannot believe that a, a, a tenured head coach like Kirk Ferentz, his son is the OC, by the way. So they were they were pathetic offensively last year. He keeps his son as the offensive coordinator, but they revamp things. It is shocking how bad it is. Not only like in design, like it's super simple and very easy. It's very predictable and simple and and old school, but the pace in which they conduct their offense is also painful. So it's boring, it's predictable, and it's slow. I don't, I can, I could not fathom paying to watch that. (laughs) Couldn't either. It's a, it's just, I guess we don't get it. It's Big Ten football. Hell, they pulled a uh, receiver from Mississippi, went from Horn Lake, I believe, when I was an intern at the Clarion Ledger. Like, I think they've kind of tried to pull some athletic talent. I don't know what happened to that kid. I don't even remember his name, but I do remember doing a story on him committing and going to Iowa. But tough to watch. That's kind of about it on the week one front. Do you have any soccer takes? Do we have room for the fastest growing segment of American soil? Are you an EPL guy? I know you watch the national team. Do you have a other team? Like what's kind of your soccer uh, menu there? So no, uh, I, if I'm going to adopt a team, it's going to be Leeds. Okay. Yeah. Because, uh, Ted Aronson, Lasso. yeah, They're Ted like Lasso Ted and, uh, and Brendan Aronson, who, um, is going to be a major factor on the world cup team this year. And Tyler Adams also who's solid there. Um, Aronson is, I mean, he's quickly ascended to like, I, I know you poke fun at it, like the promising young player to now, now he's like, he's the ready guy. to be. Yeah. Uh, he, he's exceptional and, and just a hard worker. And so if I do end up adopting European soccer, I, I've chosen leads American coach and two American players on it. And they're like, you know, it's not like Manchester United or Chelsea or whatever. They're like kind of gritty. You know, not not the high profile program, so I won't be a bandwagoner or anything. That's all I know is is Adams and Aronson and Ted Lasso, and they're not like Manchester City. That has been talking soccer. Back to our roots on the soccer yes. corner segment. That is how the soccer corner segment started. Is like I don't understand this sport. While well, let Weldon to discuss it for a second, and then it turns into people being like, "Did you see Nottingham Forest today?" I'm like, I actually didn't catch that one, pal. I had some other stuff going on. But I appreciate the encouragement on the soccer. He is Michael Borky in the co-host chair today. I really appreciate the time, my man. This was a ton of fun talking football as always, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Yeah, man, anytime. All right, that is our show. I appreciate you making it to the end and making this podcast a part of your day. Always appreciate appreciate the feedback. I guess I can appreciate the pre, uh, feedback as well, but I try not to. 
uh, on this podcast. It's always fun interacting with the folks. Uh, it still kind of blows my mind how much this podcast has grown over the last couple of years and uh, everything we got going on with Rebel Grove and MPW. So uh, don't say that enough. Thank you guys for listening. It was a terrific week one. We are uh, off and rolling, and I'm looking forward to a uh, wonderful football season. We'll have Buchanan in the midweek, followed by uh, something towards the end. Probably not going to preview Central Arkansas. Uh, no disrespect to the uh, – I think they're the Bears. I don't really know. But anyway, we got Buchanan coming in the midweek, then something towards the end of the week, and, of course, fresh cuts with LB's Greg and Skybox making our week two picks. You all have a safe and happy rest of your Labor Day weekend, and we'll catch you on Wednesday.